0: SNAP production. Hello and welcome to The Briefing. It is Wednesday, September 8th, the middle of the week. I'm Katrina Blowers joined by Annika Smithhurst. Hey, Annika. Hello, Katrina. Great to be with you. Now, remember how we had to fill out that census recently and we were, I think one of the questions in there was about, you know, how many jobs you have and whether
1: you've got more than one job? Mm, it was the amount of hours worked, I think, and I almost thought yes. the box wasn't big enough. I don't know <laughs> about you. I know you've got a few jobs, but um, I, I finally felt like I was somebody was listening to my hours worked. I know. I feel
0: like when I talk to my mum and dad, it's something that they find difficult to wrap their head around because it used to be the case that you had this one job and that's what you did and then you came home and you finished up and you didn't think about that job much anymore. But nowadays, it is actually unusual if you don't have one side hustle or at least two or three. And that's what we're going to talk
2: about today on the briefing topic, side hustles, And how to do it better. Social media has a lot to blame, this whole idea of comparing and despairing and looking sideways at what other people are up to and thinking that we have to keep up and we must be doing it wrong if we're not sort of working at full throttle every moment of the day. So that's today's briefing topic
0: with Business Chicks founder Emma Isaacs, who's an absolute powerhouse of a woman. She's just written this book called The New Hustle, Don't Work Harder just work better. So many great nuggets of gold in that one. But first up, let's get
1: to today's headlines. The federal government is defending its allocation of Pfizer vaccines after suggestions it's favouring New South Wales. I signed up to a national plan to vaccinate our nation, not a national plan to vaccinate Sydney. Uh, We have seen uh, hundreds of thousands of vaccines that should have come and should now be in the arms of Victorians going into Sydney, into GP practices uh, and into New South Wales. That was an angry Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews speaking there as case numbers in his state continued to climb yesterday reaching 246 new infections. I think this was always bound to happen wasn't it Annika? But
0: let's put this into perspective. New South Wales has 32% of the population, but it has received almost 45% of available Pfizer doses. Victoria has 26% of the population but has received only 21 and a half percent of doses. So that's why the anger. Uh, 20% of Australians live in Queensland, but uh, in my state, we've received 16% of doses and we still have people saying that they're trying to get vaccines and can't. Uh, WA has 10% of the population and has received only 7% of jabs so far.
1: You can see why some people are angry, although We do have to take into the risk in those different states, which is probably what's causing Daniel Andrews to be a little bit upset there. Federal Health Minister Greg Hunt says the government's rollout is going where it's most needed.
0: As we've had uh, outbreaks, we've prioritised those areas to save lives. Uh, In particular, we started by prioritising Victoria when there was the Victorian outbreak. Every state and every territory um, receives a per capita allocation and where there is on top of that an outbreak, as we did with Victoria, which we prioritised when they had an outbreak, we've made sure that saving
1: lives has been at the heart of what we're doing.
0: Yeah, so your Premier, Annika, Daniel Andrews, says that Australians not from New South Wales have a right to be angry.
1: There's something like 340,000 doses that have not come to Victoria that ought to have. That would mean we were closer to 70%. It would mean we were closer to 80%. It would mean we were closer to ending these lockdowns. So you can see a sense of frustration and I'm sure in others, a sense of anger. Yeah, it's a great one for the state premiers to be angry about standing up for their state. Bit difficult for Greg Hunt, who is also a Victorian. Look, modelling from Melbourne's Burnett Institute released this week suggested Sydney's vaccine rollout had saved around 5,000 lives. The Taliban has announced an
0: interim government in Afghanistan.
1: First, we have decided to just announce a caretaker uh, government. Our government is for solving the current problems that we have.
0: A Taliban spokesman speaking through an interpreter there in that audio from the ABC.
1: The Taliban's Supreme Leader, Mulari Hibatullah Akhundzada released a statement saying the country has been declared an Islamic emirate that will uphold Sharia law. Now, the Taliban seized control of most of the country on August 15, asking the previously elected government. So
0: this statement also says that the Taliban wants strong and healthy relations with our neighbours and all other countries based on mutual respect and interaction. I guess a lofty goal there. We'll see how that plays
1: out. Hassan Akhand has been appointed the Prime Minister after previously serving as Deputy Foreign Minister from 1996 until 2001 when the group was last in power. And the National Women's Safety Summit has wound up with the state's critical of the Commonwealth's approach to the crisis.
0: Yeah, so this summit came about after claims by political staffer Brittany Higgins, who said she'd been raped in Parliament House in 2019.
1: Australian of the Year and sexual assault survivor Grace Tame told the ABC, it's not surprising Australians are confused.
0: We've got nine different definitions of consent, nine different definitions of grooming, nine different definitions of sexual intercourse, in fact, as well as the age of a child and the age of consent to sex. and while we have such inconsistency at the structural level, how can we expect to actually have Um, consistency in terms of our our collective understanding as a community. Okay, so Summit participants have released a statement. They've um, listed a range of priorities including long-term investment by all governments for prevention of violence against women and things like intervention and investment in housing and advocacy. As you know, Annika, this is such a complex issue. Uh, The Federal Minister for Women, Maurice Payne, defended the Commonwealth. She says that a billion dollars has been allocated to protecting women in the last budget so hopefully we will see some further action on this as as Grace Tame said there's so many different uh, kinks in the system in terms of definitions that just need to be
1: ironed out. Prime Minister Scott Morrison has been accused of being tone deaf over a weekend trip from Canberra to Sydney to visit his family for Father's Day. Now, Canberra is in a strict lockdown, as in Sydney. Now, while he was allowed to travel back home to Sydney, he applied and received an exemption allowing him to cross back into the ACT without needing to quarantine.
0: Okay. So this is where I think a lot of people have gotten confused. So he is allowed to travel to Sydney. It was the getting back to Canberra part that he needed the exemption for, right?
1: Yes. And he has uh, received an exemption that He's not allowed to the pub in Canberra, not that they're open. There are strict sort of movements that he's allowed to do. He's allowed between the Lodge and Parliament House, uh, where he's meant to stay for 14 days. So
0: Labor's disability spokesman Bill Shorten has accused
1: Morrison of appalling
0: judgment on this front. But as you said, Annika, uh, Scott Morrison has said that it's not unusual for politicians in particular to travel across borders with those special exemptions.
1: We return home when we're able to return home. That hasn't happened that often this year, I've got to tell you. But, uh, you know, that's the nature of the job and we all accept that. But the the suggestion that somehow uh, this was an unusual arrangement for members of parliament, indeed ministers, well, that just wouldn't be true.
0: So the PM is really copped it on this. Um, uh, one of the things is because the flights on a Royal Australian Air Force business jet cost more than $2,000 each way. But the other thing, Annika, is that a lot of other Australians are looking at Scott Morrison saying... Why should you be allowed to visit your family on Father's Day when so many people can't even see their dying loved ones in other states? Do you think he should have read The Room better
1: on this one? Yeah, I think that's what it comes down to. It's not about the rules. As you say, politicians and their staff are exempt. They're on those special workers' lists along with people who drive trucks and have to go interstate. It's quite a comprehensive list. It's available on state government websites. You can go and check it. It it doesn't necessarily free them from restrictions. It just means uh, they have different restrictions. So if a Victorian MP flies to Canberra, they might be allowed to go from their accommodation up to Parliament House to represent us. And I really argue that Parliament should continue during this time. I think it's really important we have scrutiny. Parliament must continue. It it did through war times. And this is a way this can happen. I think what it comes down to, and we saw it with the bushfires when he went to Hawaii... Is not reading the room. I understand people might be upset about the cost of the aeroplane. I'll let you in on a little secret. Uh, Both the Prime Minister and the opposition leader are allowed to fly around, lots of ministers too, on private jets whenever they want. They do it Mm. every day of the week. I have been lucky enough to go on them with them to conduct interviews because it's one of the few times they're not busy. And that is a right that they would have bill Shorten had it when he was opposition leader too so i think the problem is the optics you know i've seen so many politicians lose their job not because they did anything illegal because it didn't pass the pub test and as you say there are so many people with tragic stories at the moment kept away from their own loved ones and this becomes a problem how the prime minister is perceived to have looked And overseas now in Myanmar, the opposition has urged all citizens to join in an uprising against the junta government Myanmar's national unity government was formed in the months after the military
0: seized control of that country back in February it's comprised of ousted politicians and
1: also former government officials the national Unity government's acting president Abdulula La, called for a people's defensive war against the military junta and urged attacks on the coup leaders he said on a Facebook video overnight
0: following the coup the Myanmar people have not passed a day with joy it is been eight months since the military continuously and cruelly murdered tortured detained and imprisoned using many laws all right thanks annika coming up we talk about the new hustle Katrina Blowers and Antoinette Latouf here with you for today's briefing topic, which is all about the new rules of work in a post-pandemic world. I guess we've all heard of side hustles. It's kind of a case now that if you don't have one or even two on top of your day job, then what are you even doing with your life, right, Antoinette? (laughs) Not sleeping. (laughs) Yeah, correct. But what if hustling harder actually isn't the answer? And there were some tried and tested rules we could use to shortcut our way to the top in this new world of work.
3: So today's guest is Emma Isaac. She heads up a half a million strong community of business women called Business Chicks. She's also an entrepreneur, now an author. Emma has spent her life building businesses and helping people see possibilities when they hadn't imagined it before.
0: And just in case you're like, oh, it's easy for her, you know. She also has six kids, six children. So she does all of this on top of that. So she's kind of a pro at the whole hustling game. And she's put her wisdom in a book. She reckons that even though the hustle has become a thing, on the back of the pandemic, the hustle is dead. And we shouldn't be working harder, just better. So Emma, to kick off, I guess we want to explore
3: what the hustle is. Before we kick it to the curb, let's talk about what makes up this hustle that you're so opposed to.
2: So I started my career when I was 18. I had my first company when I was 18 and I've been working at scaling and building companies ever since. But obviously, when I was that young, I could work six or seven days a week. I could work 15, 16 hours a day and not experience burnout. But I think, um, you know, you talk to anyone uh, in your social circle or anyone you work with and everyone's got a story of burning out and working too hard and certainly failing when it comes to getting the balance of life and, and work right. So... I think um, what's happened as well, obviously, during the last 18 months, people have really sat back and kind of interrogated the way they work. And, you know, we've really been served a huge dose of perspective about what it takes to lead a really fulfilling and fun life. And for, for a lot of people, that's meant making some big changes in the way they work. So, yeah, for me, the old hustle is the way of burnout. It's the way of really long commutes to an office. It's long working hours. It definitely measures input rather than output. And I'm much more obsessed are much more interested with, you know, what you achieved and what you got done rather than how many hours you spent trying to make it happen or how much sleep you didn't get.
0: How do you reckon we got to this point where to not have a side hustle is now considered to be somewhat of a failure in life? You either, you know, you have your day job and then you have one side hustle, making candles or, you know, hosting some kind of um, social media platform or whatever it is that you're doing, or you might even have two, three or more side hustles. How do we
2: get here? Yeah, it's a great question, isn't it? And I mean, I think social media has a lot to blame, this whole idea of comparing and despairing and looking sideways at what other people are up to and thinking that we have have to keep up and we must be doing it wrong if we're not sort of working at full throttle every moment of the day. And, you know, I mean, we're just able to these days, right? The choice is there, the technology is there, the barriers for entry in terms of getting into small business and starting something are are so low these days. And we have so much information at our fingertips on how to, you know, become self-made and how to get a start entrepreneurship. So Mm. I think people feel a lot of pressure to try and do too much. Um, But certainly, you know, the pandemic has taught myself and the people who work in my company that there is an easier way to do things and we Mm. can have more. You know, ease and grace and we can still achieve a lot but do it with uh, I suppose less stress and in a, a more calm way and in a more in a more gentle way I like that word I think gentle is the way to go
3: and we'll get to the pandemic in a second of course social media has a huge amount of impact in terms of people wanting to appear to be doing so many fabulous things and then showcasing it but there are other structural issues at play there's a casualized workforce where people are forced to have multiple hustles mm-hmm. because we don't have necessarily necessarily secure and well-paid work. What's your view on that?
2: Mm. Well, absolutely. I mean, I think the pandemic did teach us that, that job security is not what we thought it was. I live in Los Angeles in California, and there are a billion different opportunities. You can become a massage therapist and go into people's homes. You can obviously drive Ubers, and there's a billion different side hustles you can get into. So I I think, yeah, you're right. Structurally, the gig economy is fueling a lot of this, you know, the busyness and the availability of different activities that we can choose outside our, you know, general nine-to-five.
3: And the pandemic certainly disrupted traditional ways of working. So those long commutes and un- unproductive meetings and those outdated systems of bureaucracy, uh, your view is that they don't actually work and the pandemic has shown that. Are we seeing a pushback against a return to that? I, I saw some some stories coming out of the UK where people were like, I'm just not going back to the commute. I'm double jabbed and I'm just not doing what I was doing before. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, I think we're definitely in a situation of power to the people. You know, I think um, there are a lot of companies who for years have said, you know, remote first or or having a virtual workforce will never, ever work for our business. And they were proven wrong in the pandemic. I mean, it was just, um, you know, people were sent home and had to work out how to, you know, conduct themselves on Zoom meetings and keep the kids out of their little workspaces. The companies who refuse to keep up, who refuse to innovate, who, you know, want to just return back to the way things were always done, they're going to really suffer and they're really going to find it hard to keep talent and to find people who are willing to work like that because I think we're just finding so many people, you know, like that they might not like being at home and working from home five days a week, but they like the idea of having the choice, you know, perhaps they like to go into the office two days a week or perhaps they've got their own, um, you know, set of ingredients that make up for a successful career and work-life balance.
0: All right, Emma, I want you to break it down for us now. You've you've come up with a list of rules in your book. Some of them are super fabulous. And I certainly would love to live my life with less stress and more grace. (laughs) I do more than one job. And some days I feel like I'm dropping all the balls. One of the beautiful rules that is, I think it's number 36, is you've written send a thank you email every day. What is the importance of gratitude and why do you do this?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. This is a practice that I've been doing for many years now. And even just, you know, it took me a couple of weeks or a little bit longer than that to, you know, build it into a habit. And I just put it in my diary every single day to send a small email thanking someone for something they'd done or something they'd taught me or something they'd given me. And it's become a beautiful practice that I, I do every single morning. It's the first thing I do. So, you know, I'm always looking for any excuse to get in touch with people. And um, yeah, gratitude's always played a huge theme in, in building my businesses and, and certainly the community that we have a business chick. So, yeah, I I encourage anyone to try it, you know, at least try and build it into a habit if not for your own benefit just to thank the people around you who who make stuff happen. Another rule is walk in
0: like you own the room. Describe for us how you do that.
2: (laughs) Um, well, I think as with any um, anything like this, you know, it's a bit of a fake it to you make it sort of situation. But, um, you know, one of the rules, rule, rule number two is, you know, to earn power, you must first relax. And this leads into that rule you've just mentioned, you know, it's I, I think people can sense when you're calm and people want to hang around with calm people. They want to hang around with people who appear confident and who appear like they have uh, their stuff together. So it's really, really important when you walk in to try and be present with the people that you're meeting with and to give great eye contact and try and dial up that charisma if you like so um yeah i mean i think it shoulders back it's a big smile and and i say like you should enter every room like you want to be there and like you know there's no other place you want to be right now so i think that's important for us all to cultivate whether you're walking into a you know huge networking event or whether you're walking into a, a meeting with three people you know it's just about having a sense of i'm really happy to be here and yeah there's no place i'd rather be
3: And another one of your 77 rules is the idea that you're meant to be where you are at. Can you explain that? Because I guess for some people, they think where I'm at kind of sucks. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've always been someone who tries to um, take a quite philosophical view of my life and, and try and encourage the people around me to take quite a philosophical view of where they're at, you know, and I know for um, people in Australia right now, it's an incredibly challenging time and people are really suffering and it breaks my heart to see that happening. And look, no one wants to be in lockdown. No one wants to be in the restrictions that we're all placed under at the moment, but it is a, a moment in time and it will pass. So, yeah, just trying to take a bit of a helicopter view of your life and know that, you know, please God, it's going to be a long and fruitful one and and this too shall pass.
3: For women in particular who are still paid less, we don't nearly have enough presence on boards and in politics. And for example, if you're a woman of colour or someone with a disability or LGBT, you have even more obstacles. Do you understand in those circumstances why it might be hard to find comfort in where you're at when you know a lot of it is beyond your control?
2: Yeah, of course it is. And that's not to say that we ever sit in, in you know, complete contentment with where we're at. You know, there's obviously got to be an agitating for change, particularly for those different minorities that you spoke about. So, But, you know, I think like I, I have a number of friends who are people of colour and, and they will say, you know, a similar thing. Like you have to be philosophical about where you're at no matter what stage you're at. I mean, there's no point complaining and whining. You know, you've got to get into action and do something about it. But trying to have a positive mindset and, and an appreciation for, you know, where you're at, whether it be really, really, really challenged. And, and yeah, sure, systemically, challenges obviously as a whole other layer of complexity and difficulty, but there still needs to be, yeah, a philosophical view taken, I think, while you're working for change and while you're looking to make action.
0: So what I'm hearing, Emma, is the rules have changed. The game has changed. And I guess if there is a silver lining from the pandemic, it's,
2: it's shifted the way that we all think about how we live and work. Yeah, 100%. I think what we found throughout the pandemic is a huge level of dissatisfaction and we all had the time to sit back and really analyse our lives and, yeah, our careers are a part of that equation and we are really, you know, given a large amount of perspective, right? It was, for me, I know that the things that I used to distract myself from in my everyday life um, were taken away from me. So traveling back to Australia for work or, you know, being able to go into an office every day, when, when you take out those things that are sort of masking another level of unhappiness, you know, and you're really left with the truth, it's really easy to be dissatisfied and, and hopefully, again, interrogate what you really want from your life and what you want from your career. And I only think this is at the start of empowering people to see that, you know, there is a better way of working and we can get more fun and more joy into our work.
3: I certainly love your enthusiasm and um, optimism. I want to pop it in a jar and and keep it at home. (laughs) Um, But some of the tips seem, I guess, in principle, a bit straightforward and perhaps easier to say than do. Is there one particular tip that you found has really challenged or surprised people? I think,
2: particularly for your female listeners, one of the ones that a lot of women are perhaps challenged with is rule number 12, and that's learn how to say no. So, yeah, mm. you're right. Like, it sounds very, very straightforward and yes. easy to do, but in practice it is actually really, really hard I'm to. I'm terrible just, at it. So I encourage people to start with, you know, saying no to little commitments, whether it's the Friday night drinks or, you mm. know, um, maybe volunteering for a school project when you know you don't have the, the time to do it. So, you know, I, I think we are inflicted with a level of people people pleasing still and we want to be seen as as people who are not compliant that's not the right word but you know who are agreeable and and want to help and and you know we certainly should at times be that but you know if it's at the detriment of your stress and your anxiety and um, your availability for the other activities and tasks you want to get good at and spend time with then it's it's a skill we have to master it's Mm. it's it's crucial
0: that was Emma Isaacs, the author of The New Hustle. Don't work harder, just work better. A couple of tips for you there, Antoinette.
3: <laughs> just say no is 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 my takeaway. Just say no and stick to it.
0: I think a lot of people in your life are about to get very shocked. Uh, n- no,
3: is all I'm saying to that.
0: <laughs> and on tomorrow's briefing, a really special episode marking Are You OK Day. We find out how to make sure the small people in your life, the kids, whether they're your own kids or um, maybe nephews, nieces, whether they're OK amid this pandemic.
3: Listener.